Welcome to the World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Vesela Cherneva. I am Deputy Director of ECFR. And this week we will talk about Belarus once again. On Sunday, Belarus intercepted and diverted a commercial flight between two EU capitals to arrest a dissident. We will recap again what exactly happened, explore the broader context of the crisis and the role of Russia, as well as discuss the reactions of the US and of course of the European Union. What will be the impact of the agreed measures? What should be the next steps also ahead of the EU-US summit on the 15th of June? These questions we will be discussing uh, with a couple of very good interlocutors, I am happy to welcome Katya Gold, non-resident fellow with the Russia program of the U.S. Center for European Policy Analysis. Linus Linkevicius, former foreign minister of foreign affairs and former minister of defense of Lithuania. And not to forget, DCFR council member. And Pavel Sumkin, uh, who is a visiting fellow at DCFR, and he previously worked for the foreign ministry of Belarus. Very happy to have you all, and thanks for joining. Katya, maybe we can start with you. What happened on Sunday uh, from what we know so far? Well, on Sunday, we saw quite an unprecedented incident, even for someone like the incumbent leader of Belarus, Alexander Lukashenko. He gave an order to hijack, basically, to force to land an Ryanair flight en route from Athens to Vilnius. And this flight happened by coincidence, as the Belarusian authorities claimed, to carry an opposition journalist uh, who is associated with two very popular telegram channels in Belarus, Roman Protasevich. So Mr. Protasevich and his partner, Sofia Sapega, they were both taken on, on by the security services. Um, Since then, we have seen two videos where they allegedly admitting their guilt, particularly Mr. Protasevich is saying that he is cooperating with the investigation. And obviously that really caused an outbreak by the international community. What has become of that is that before Lukashenko was really a sort of a moral problem and moral issue for the European Union, because yes, it's bad that there are political prisoners in Belarus. Yes, it's very bad that elections are rigged. But now he has really become more of an international problem, a threat to international security, because obviously European and other citizens' lives were put at risk. The official reason that the authorities used to land the plane was the bomb scare, which obviously was not confirmed. And the way the whole situation, the whole operation was staged, it looked very likely that it was the Belarusian security services behind that. And And um, um, obviously, um, now we had a very harsh reaction, I think, even more than expected. Yeah. Before we come to the reaction, um, maybe uh, if I can ask you one more thing. There were another two people on that plane who were apparently security agents. There were rumors at the beginning that they were Russian citizens. What came out of this? Uh, who were they? Do we know more about them? No, we still don't know who these uh, people were. We know that there were three Russian citizens, and it happened to be that one Russian citizen is uh, um, Roman Protasevich's girlfriend. Um, who lived with him in Vilnius and went to a Belarusian university in exile. However, she has a Russian passport. 
What happens to two other Russian citizens, we don't know. We did see again on the Belarusian state propaganda television um, short video clips with one man and one woman who were allegedly explaining why they did not board the plane back from Minsk to to Vilnius, and we can only assume that these people are the Russian citizens, but uh, and all the many think that they are probably somehow linked either to the Belarusian KGB or to the Russian FSB. We obviously don't have enough evidence to say that with uh, certainty. Thank you very much. I think this was a very good scene setter, uh, but uh, I would like to zoom out a bit more maybe and come to Pavel to talk a little bit about the status of the political crisis in Belarus. Uh, European public opinion is aware uh, that those protests have been going for months. There have been a lot of arrests. And still, were you surprised to see such an incident happening? All the time, I think that something is impossible in Belarus. All the time, the Belarusian government shows that everything is possible for them. So um, as uh, Katya already mentioned, that the crisis has internationalized by this capture of the plane. And I think that this would help to the European Union to understand which danger comes from the Belarusian crisis. Uh, like the, the, the European neighbors of Belarus, they have been telling and repeating this, that the Belarusian crisis poses a threat to all the European Union, but we didn't see the whole reaction from the EU on the Belarusian crisis. And the, this understanding that now Belarus stand uh, into a country that will give you more and more uh, challenges and problems all the time. So this will be a source for uh, such problems that we had with the aircraft, maybe even uh, mo- more dangerous ones. And uh, talking about the political crisis, the, the aircraft incident is just a result of the politics uh, or the lack of such uh, towards the solution of the crisis. So a political crisis hasn't been resolved. It maybe we may say it was conserved in uh, some ways. So we don't see thousands of people on Belarusian streets, but not because they don't want to, uh, but just because the price for coming on streets has become extremely high, like several years in prison. But the protests. How many people are in prison right now? Um, it's hard to say how many people are in prison. I, I, I may tell you that we have more than 420 political prisoners, and there are more than 1,000 uh, criminal cases against people who participated somehow in protests. And all in all, uh, there were more than 35,000 of people. Uh, who passed through prisons because of the protests. So they were adrim- administrative cases also. And the, the last sanctions package, which was adopted by the EU in December 2020, we had around 150 political prisoners. So that the number of them uh, more than double. Since those times, we saw that uh, the Belarusian government continue uh, repression its own people. They destroyed the main... Uh, independent media in the country, the the, the largest one, uh, Tutbai. We have several cases of the one guy who was under the criminal case. He did a suicide uh, yesterday, uh, the 17 years old boy. Another gentleman, he was just killed in prison or he, he died in prison, we don't know, also under the political case. The political crisis and the reaction of uh, the Belarusian authorities on that, persecuting their opponents, they have been ongoing, but the reaction, we, we, we like the reaction. And uh, now we have this aircraft incident, and I hope that it will give us the better understanding uh, of that nothing ended in Belarus and that we have to invest uh, much of our energy 
to the solution of the crisis so that to avoid uh, the solution, uh, to avoid the situation like we have. Linus, we spoke about various reactions. Uh, we saw also Russia's reaction, which was not one of indignation. Do you think we should count Russia as part of this issue or should keep it out? Because I think those two scenarios point to different paths, right? What is your opinion of the Russian connection, so to say, in all of this? We can make many assumptions, definitely. Uh, we need more facts about this concrete event, this incident which was unprecedented and never seen in the history of civil aviation. So uh, need to, we need to really thorough independent investigation to bring facts which are known already, even without investigation. That was kind of act of state-sponsored terrorism, basically. But uh, uh, having uh, Russia's role in, in mind, we all, all, always should understand that this is a long process. These two countries, they have agreement of union of, of two states, and this is being implemented more than 20 years already. So after what happened, after Lukashenko did to his own country, deleting basically all, all these remainings of sovereignty and independence, he made it very vulnerable and uh, easy to take it, basically. So um, pretending, claiming to be guarantor of independence, he became kind of uh, a guy who, who definitely trying to bring this process to the end as fast as possible. And uh, that explains a lot. So again, as I said, let's make assumptions. Maybe maybe Russia checking some methods uh, to act, maybe, maybe looking at the way how to isolate Belarus even more. Uh, we can see that Belarus will be even more isolated after it was be than it was before, as a consequence what happened, and uh, that would be easier to, to, to get it, basically. So. Um, the role of Russia, you cannot prove, but answering to your question, to put Russia aside or not, of course not. Russia is part of the picture, of the bigger picture. It was always the case. Wouldn't it make it costlier for Russia to kind of maintain Belarus as its satellite if Minsk is in a bigger isolation? Well, it's, uh, it is a satellite, as we said, uh, Belarus is fully integrated basically into the life of Russia and uh, more and more the special services working together. They have KGB, as we all know, and the office of FSB in KGB was always, always also uh, operational. And uh, who can deny that this action was also coordinated before hand border control, whatever you can call, uh, it's really quite integrated system and not much left, uh, basically. So I, I would presume that in the future, there will be done the utmost from Russian side to make sure that this process will be ac accomplished as, far as, as fast as as possible. Um, on, I, I, I'm, it's sad to, to admit, but it looks like uh, Belarus will remain the Euro independent country, but de facto, I, I doubt it will be the, the case. So that's uh, the problem. And uh, as we all understand, uh, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't increase pressure, because the only pressure on the regime uh, can make some difference, because these people suffering. Before this incident happened, if you would agree with me, the attention was uh, kind of deprived a bit from Belarus because of other crises, other events, and there was an illusion that things calming down because less people on the streets. But one can uh, understand that less people on the street means that they're still on the streets. They're still protesting after being uh, so uh, not that they're just badly treated, but they were brutally treated. And, and uh, you know, they're risking their lives, risking their jobs, uh, risking not just comfort, but many more important things, and still on the streets, still protesting. So they really should have some hope. 
at least what they get from the international community, solidarity and understanding. So pressure should be high on the regime. You talked about sanctions uh, before, and I would uh, recall that after 2010, there were also violations of human rights, also political prisoners, also sanctions list. Uh, I remember we discussed whether to lift sanctions or not, uh, not after they released six political prisoners, right? Yes, yes. Now we have, that. as it was, it was rightly said, uh, more than 420, right? And on the list, less than 100 list of sanctions. So fourth, fourth package being uh, prepared now in, in, in the European Union, uh, which takes too long, in my view, already. We need already fifth package, basically, not, not just fourth, which is not yet accomplished. And uh, include the cronies of the regime, include, include those who are really financing this regime, isolating at the same time, at the same time, definitely. And also to find the ways how to help civil society. That's very important. It's not easy to do, but we must do that. We can come to that in a moment. Just to talk a little bit more about sanctions. You mentioned 2010, 2011. We remember that it was not easy to pass those sanctions. Uh, then rolling them back was another conversation, uh, which was also complicated. How do you feel the atmosphere within the EU this time? Uh, do you think it's going to be it's 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 easier or or not? And do you think that the EU really has now the will to restore its credibility? Also, given that in the EU-Russia context, there has been quite a bit of let's say bad taste in the mouth, if not the failure. As I said, there was really 170 on the list, and we released. Uh, I mean, uh, lifted sanctions after they released six prisoners. But at that time, Lukashenko was on the list since very beginning. By the way, there was no problem. Now it took time, if you remember, to put him on the list because there were voices, let's uh, preserve channels of communication or, or negotiations or whatever. And that was really, really, I believe, not, not strong position. And uh, now am I feeling you asking what would be the, what is the mood? So now it's after the stress and the shock, what uh, really went around the globe, basically. Reaction was very strong. So now it's time from strong words to go to the actions. And uh, as, I, as far as I understand, this is uh, consensus on these issues, to, to, to not consensus of precise list and names yet, because they are now in the cooking. Uh, but, but I believe that will come. And I hope in the middle of next, next month, we should have some results. Yeah, but because of the mm-hmm. because of the EU yeah, US meeting, right, which is on the fifteenth of June, uh, yeah. I think before that, probably the council will have to be able to present uh, the package. Yeah, and I wanted to, exactly wanted to mention this point on US, you know, which is really now a bit different uh, situation when US and co- coordination co- coordinating uh, actions with European Union, and there were very, very strong statement of president. And he also mentioned that he is going to coordinate with European Union. And he also condemned all these events and the last uh, last uh, incident with the airplane. And that uh, brings some hope because only coordinated action can make a difference. And uh, um, regime in, in Minsk, uh, here, they can pretend that they do not care, but it looks like they are a bit in panic. They didn't expect such a united reaction. And they didn't expect such a, such a possible isolation. And the only uh, political and practical and financial and whatever sponsor is Kremlin. And they count on them, of course. Uh, and you see that uh, Kremlin already started to react implicitly. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's not a big deal, but this uh, 
giving no permission to Air France to fly in, into Moscow because the route was um, avoiding Belarusian airspace and they canceled uh, simply the, the flight. That's something new, right? But this escalation looks like continuous and uh, Russia and, uh, definitely standing on, this, on the side of regime. And who can deny that uh, all these last events were also uh, orchestrated jointly? So, but since we have no facts, we cannot play or speculate. Let's not do that. But we can make assumptions, right, from the legacy of the past, uh, from, from our experience in the past. And unfortunately, again, these old good methods of KGB are working on both countries. And this is very serious signal. So we'll just leave it unattended. That would be a big mistake in the future. We'll face even bigger problems. I totally echo your frustration, especially vis-a-vis the societies, both uh, in, in Belarus and in Russia. But in, the, in this case, uh, because we're focusing on Belarus, um, and you mentioned civil society, I will ask both Katya and Pavel, uh, to give us their take, first of all, on these sanctions, especially sanctioning the Belarus airline. There is this argument that if you don't want to hurt people, you should not apply such sanctions. Do you agree with that or not? And in general, how to make smart sanctions work? Do you think they work? Do they? Do you think they help? society? Do you think there is this feeling that Europe is solidary with them? Well, that's a very good question. And I think it is quite controversial, both inside and outside of Belarus. Um, When I talk to people in Belarus, to my friends and family, they're really frustrated that the sanctions are not serious enough, that they are not really um, targeting the regime strongly enough, that they just basically uh, do worse because the regime becomes irritated and um, kind of tries to play back at civil society, at their opponents. So I think people in Belarus would like to see stronger sanctions. But, you know, if we look, I think, at the sanctions as a tool, they have not really been very successful. We can perhaps, you know, mention just a few examples when sanctions have really achieved their goal. So therefore, unless I think you invade the country, you cannot really help change the regime. So therefore, I think that, yes, sanctions should be used as only one instrument, one tool. What I think is more important when we talk about civil society is actually help civil society grow in Belarus to help survive the very hard tide of repression that civil society is facing now, basically build the resilience of civil society. Because on the one hand, I think we see this paradox um, within society in Belarus that on the one hand, people think that, look, we've done so much, we've been taken to the streets in big numbers, but we still did not win. So they do feel that they they are the agent of change, but at the same time, they, they feel that they are not really capable to achieve the ultimate change. But for, for that, we really need to have strong opposition. We need to have stronger mobilization inside Belarus. For example, recent polls show that there are about 45% of people who, whilst not supporting the regime, they also don't want to protest and don't feel that the opposition answers to their demands directly. So there should be tighter connection between the opposition who are currently in exile and some functions inside Belarus, for example, the coordinating council or the people around um, former candidate Viktor Babarika who are now trying to set up a political party to connect 
them stronger to people. So if protests are not possible, the opposition, I mean, political opposition have to be smarter. They have to use some other methods. Like, you know, we think about Serbian Otpor during Milosevic time. They started with branding, putting stickers everywhere with traffic slowdown. Some things that will not be so risky for Belarusians inside the country. Pavel, do you think in terms of policy steps, there are concrete things one could do in order to help society and to help those people who really want to get rid of Koshenko's regime? I think that now all attention is concentrated in the aircraft incidents. And so the reaction, the sanctions that we are talking about, the restrictions are also connected to the air flight. But this is, we should understand that this is just part of the picture. The, the reason of what happened is the restricted, unrestricted rule of Lukashenko. So we have to find solutions not in air, but uh, on the ground. And talking about sanctions, I, I agree with Katya that we have to understand that this is just a part of the picture, part of the solution. Ec- economic sanctions don't uh, resolve uh, a crisis. And we know that sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And we have many examples when even harsh economic sanctions don't bring to any change. And what is happening in Venezuela is just a bright example of this. But the other problem is that uh, since the beginning of the crisis, we have been talking about sanctions so much, but talking almost nothing about the positive agenda. What would that be? I'm talking about what the EU and the Western society, what the international community could give uh, to the to Belarus when it uh, holds new democratic elections, when the repressions end. This the signal should be sent not to Lukashenko but to the Belarusian society and to the nomenclature, to the people who are still uh, part of the regime, but they understand that the more Lukashenko stays in power, the high is the price for the future of Belarus. So we should work on the crackdowns in the regime uh, vertical. And also, Lina's already mentioned this, that when you have uh, strong words, but nothing on the ground, nothing in practice, then uh, your best ally and uh, the the best you ally uh, in Belarus is uh, the people themselves, those who have become, for the first time in the uh, long years, uh, the political actors in their own country. They now uh, are being disappointed because they, they were protesting, they were put in prison, and they didn't have any strong reaction from the EU, a part of wars. So now it's time to, to show this support. It is about sanctions, but also about the, the positive agenda. And if talking about some of the examples, this may be, I don't know, uh, Schengen visas that can be given free for free of charge for Belarusians. And also another point on the aircraft restrictions, we should understand that the land borders of Belarus are now closed, allegedly because of the COVID-19. And people can't flee from the country if we close also their air flights from Belarus. If we ban Belavia in the EU, this will mean that the regime would ban the European companies that working in Belarus. And the people who are persecuted, they won't just have chance to escape. Linus, uh, maybe one uh, last question to you. If we to kind of turn Belarus to some sort of an island that Pavel just described now, uh, with closed borders, with nobody flying in and out, is that a good scenario for the EU? A good scenario to make changes in Belarus, but only themselves they can do that. So what we can do, we can influence, we can extend pressure. Again, sanctions, it's the only leverage, by the way, we are using. We are not using nothing else. And this is also not sufficient, as we all agree, probably. So uh, not just, uh, well, it's difficult for everyone, of course, but regime and especially surroundings, entourage of 
outgoing president, they should understand that they will be left no chance to escape. Because now what they're counting on is to save time and to stay in power, uh, to make sure that everyone agrees with this new normal and the uh, situation will be somehow sorted out, as it was always the case, and they will remain. So they should know quite clear that nobody will retreat, and this is what was done. Possibly even crimes committed, they will be investigated, and those guilty will be held accountable, and uh, that's the case. And also pressure, overall pressure. They should feel it physically. Otherwise, uh, there will be no changes at all, because we'll, we'll see that they're neglecting not just national law, but anything. What else uh, we can expect after what happened with this incident? Maybe something else? It's just cra crazy things happening, basically. So what we can do, at least to extend pressure. But I agree with all, always saying my, myself, sanctions is not something we should be proud about. You know, it's not the language people should talk or countries should talk. It's like la last resort if nobody listening. But you should find the ways how to help civil society, help these victims of repressions, physical victims, economic victims, how to help students expelled from the house, high schools. And I said they should be granted uh, scholarships uh, and to continue studies in, in European Union institutions. Uh, they should, and all society should uh, see the vision after changes will take place. They should know that if, uh, when when new elections will take place, when political prisoners will be will be released, uh, there will be a chance to get closer with European Union and. There were also talks, and you know, von der Leyen, president of the commission, already talked about three billion of package ready for Belarus for investments and uh, after after changes will be uh, done in that country. At the beginning, and I believe in the future, people should know that something will come after this dark period of the country. Thank you. I thought we should try to finish on the positive agenda, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately we finished Negative with, stuff, so with reality. Yes. There is one thing left to do in this podcast, uh, which we always do, and this is our bookshelf section. Katya, what is on your bookshelf at the moment? What would you recommend? Maybe I'll recommend something that I have read recently, and uh, perhaps I'll go down to some basics, but I really enjoyed listening to a book called Politics Book, Big Ideas Simply Explained. And it's really um, uh, like an encyclopedia, a compilation of political thoughts from the very beginning, starting with Confucius in China, um, going through the present day. It's not centered on Europe. It really takes into account Latin America and other countries. And it's really a very good and very thoughtful um, explanation of the greatest thinking. And it was very well narrated. I listened to, to the audio book when I was jogging and it was very pleasant experience. So I can highly recommend it. Who is the book by? The book is by the UK publishing house Doralyn Kindersley, and it's a, a compilation of different authors. So different periods and different thinkers were contributed by different authors. I'm asking because we are going to put a link to all the titles that you mentioned on our website. Pavel, what are you reading at the moment? I would like to recommend not what I was reading in the moment, but just a thematical uh, book one, The Arthur Haley Airport. This now is uh, uh, on the international topic. So just the, the, the book about one day of the airport lives. And I think that we can uh, bring some parallels. Yeah, there was also a movie done after it uh, with an Eastern European main uh, character. Linus, what would you recommend? It has to do with politics, not surprisingly, you know, but uh, A Promised Land by Barack Obama. He started to write this book uh, immediately after accomplishing his eight terms in office and uh, eight, eight years. And 
it's really interesting to read, and uh, we all know this personality quite attractive to many, and uh, not less than before, by, by the way. <laughs> so I would believe it would be really interesting to many to, to read this uh, this book about his memories, about this immemorable uh, time. Thank you. As far as I'm concerned, I would like to recommend something that is coming up very soon on our website, uh, if it's not there yet. It's a piece by our own Pavel and uh, Joanna Hossa on what just happened in Belarus. I think it fits very well with what we just discussed. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do let other people know by writing about it on your social media page or other. But above all, hopefully please give us good rating and review on whichever platform you use to download this podcast. And for now, from Katya Glot, Lina Slinkevicius, Pavel Slunkin and myself, Vesela Cherneva, it's goodbye. The researcher of this podcast is Lucy Hauptenthal and the editor of this week's episode is Chris Eichberger. <laughs>